Welcome to the Red Yeti Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. What's going on, guys? Before we get into today's podcast episode, I wanted to give you a quick update on the Red Yeti membership program. To this point, we've grown to have thousands of products from up-and-coming startups and small businesses in the outdoor travel and lifestyle space on the platform. You can save up to 50% off all of these products, anything from skis to jackets to food bars to supplements. Anything you could think of to support your outdoor activities is on the platform from small up-and-coming brands. It's a great opportunity to support small businesses while also discovering brands that you've never heard of. You can show off the new gear to your friends and also save a ton while doing it. If you're interested in checking it out, head over to readyeddy.com slash members to get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Lives In Designs. Lives In creates durable, versatile clothing so you can own less and spend more time doing the things you love. Learn more by heading to livesin.com. That's L-I-V-S-N.com. Does your e-commerce site need a boost? Tribe Alpha can improve the performance of your online store. And Red Yeti podcast listeners get a special discount. Visit tribealpha.com slash deal for a 10% discount. That's tribealpha.com slash deal. What is going on, Red Yeti Podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, your host. On today's episode, I am sitting down with the founder of Megalith Climbing, Ben Browning. Brent, Ben, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right, so uh, Megalith, how would you best describe uh, your business to someone who's never heard of it before? All right, so Megalith Climbing is all about bringing climbing, rock climbing, into the home. Um, We currently offer just a very short uh, range of products, but they're designed around being able to easily install a rock climbing wall uh, on any wall in your house, uh, like something simple for your kids to climb on or a really simple training route. Um, so right now we're pretty basic. We just have a couple little um, little products like these little panels that you put up um, that are decorative. They look nice. They're easy to install. They're solid. They're secure. And uh, that's the whole idea is it just makes putting up a climbing wall really easy to do. So give me a little bit of background on you, Ben. You're I know you're from Provo or you're from Utah. How did you did you grow up a climber and just over time kind of know like just stumble upon this idea or did you kind of always know you wanted to start a business of some kind? Sure, sure. So I'm actually from Washington State uh, is where I grew up. I'm out here for school right now. Just finished up school. Um, so I guess a little bit of background on me. I've always wanted to do my own business. I've always kind of done my own businesses. Uh, growing up, I've always been pretty entrepreneurial and I've also been very outdoorsy, uh, climbing specifically is kind of a newer one for me. I've done, I've dabbled with climbing, I've had friends that were way into climbing, uh, growing up, but in Washington, there's just not a whole lot to do out there. And I was, I was a pretty frugal kid. And so the, the gym wasn't really an option for me. Um, but outdoor options just weren't, weren't plentiful. But after moving out here for school a couple of years ago, I've gotten really into the climbing scene. And, uh, that's just something that uh, it stuck out to me was um, kind of just that there are some barriers to getting into it. And I just wanted to wanted to explore how I could make that that transition a little bit easier for people. Um, but personally, um, my background, I, I did my undergraduate in mechanical engineering. I worked for a couple of years for a company called Nautilus. They do in-home fitness equipment. And then I decided to go back to school um, 
for a business degree, uh, a master's in business administration, just specifically because I wanted to branch out on my own and start to, to build my own company. So I wanted to make sure that I knew what I was doing there. I wasn't just jumping off of a cliff without any, any foreknowledge. Um, so yeah, that's about where I'm at. Yeah, and uh, Utah is definitely one of the best places to live for outdoor climbing. <laughs> oh, it's absolutely. unbelievable how good it is. There are so many options. Just like five minutes from my house, I got Rock Canyon, and that's just, I mean, there's there's still, I've been climbing there pretty pretty, pretty solidly, like three times a week for the past few months. Oh, I'm so and jealous. <laughs> well, and I, I have yet to explore, I mean, I've probably done maybe... 40% of the of the stuff that's there. There's just so much to do. And then like an hour up the road, there's uh little, little Cottonwood Canyon, big oh, Cottonwood yeah. Canyon, Ferguson mm-hmm. Canyon. You got Maple Canyon down. You got Zion. You got Moab. You got St. George, oh all that stuff. Yeah. George, so much. It's, and I've, I just barely scratched the surface. So I'm, I'm, I've been having a blast this summer. I've been working probably less than I should and climbing more. than I, <laughs> I know that game. <laughs> No, that's awesome. I, when I lived in Utah like seven years ago at that at this point, that's when I really got into climbing. And the first time I ever outdoor climbed was in St. George. And then I was just like, oh, man, <laughs> I need to do this yeah. all the time. Oh, it's so much fun. It really is. Um, OK, so you're in business school to kind of get the business side. Uh, like yeah. you obviously have the so technical. I, could, sc- I, should, I just graduated. Oh, you I'm just graduated. OK. Did you do you feel like your degree really helped? Um get you in the position to start the business? Absolutely. Um, so I graduated from BYU, got my MBA from BYU. Um, and they just have an amazing, uh, I guess, they, just access to individuals who have done it before, who are connected in the industries. Um, one of my professors was one of the original founders of uh, the, the series of gyms that are around here. The, uh, we've got the quarry and we've got um, momentum climbing uh, gyms around here. And one of my professors was was one of the original guys that, that helped to build the original quarry. Um, so he's connected to all the different people around here. And then that's just that's just an example um, of anyway, I was able to participate in a lot of the different competitions that they provide. Um, that put me into contact with a lot of different people that were really familiar with, uh, I guess, I guess, just Kickstarter platforms, as well as um, just entrepreneurship in general. There's there's a very strong entrepreneurial spirit here in Utah. Uh, specifically in Provo and within BYU, there's a there's a high concentration of people that are that are that have that mindset and that have a lot of resources and connections that make it seem like less of a crazy thing to do. You know what I mean? I think that's yeah for that's sure. To it is just being able to bounce ideas off of people that don't look at you like you're nuts. And uh, yeah, it's been great. That's awesome. Okay, so you started the business in 2018. So clearly, while you were going through school, um, yeah. What was it like? Like, obviously, you have, engine, you have an engineering background. What was it like prototyping the uh, sort of flagship product that you guys have now, which are the panel, the climbing panels? Sure. So, um, I really, real quick, just the idea of the product came while I was. Uh, we were actually touring some world headquarters of different tech offices in the Northwest. We were up in, in the Amazon world headquarters, and I was honestly just thinking to myself how much I don't want to get a job in any kind of big company. And I was looking around at the walls and um, just saw like the big decorative panels on the walls and honestly just thought like, Hey, I could, I could probably climb those. Um, And uh, (laughs) so that's where the idea came from is I wanted to kind of create a decorative panel that I could 
that you could put up and climb something that looked nice, but you could also climb on it. So that, that was in November, um, of 2017. So I went home, we had a break for a couple of weeks from school. I was able to go home and have access to my, my shop back home and, uh, and a couple of buddy shops where I have a lot of, a lot of cool tools and things you can play around with. So first thing I did was just welded up a few, few initial prototypes of the concept. Um, they were pretty crude, pretty rough, but they, they got the idea down and then I just, you know, put them up and climbed around on them and just, uh, tested out like how, what was easy, what was hard, um, what felt solid, what didn't, um, what materials were easy to work with, what materials were difficult to obtain. Started looking around on, uh, different websites and things like that, like Alibaba and such, uh, MFG.com, uh, Thomas Net. Started getting quotes for different things, uh, playing around with what what would actually be cost effective and what wouldn't. Um, as I got a better idea for what materials I should I should plan around, I should work with. I developed other prototypes. I worked through a series of um, really there were three finished complete like ideation like you know ideas of different prototypes. There are like you know a dozen or so mini changes and things I'd play around with in between each physical prototype, but um, yeah, there are about three different iterations until I got to where I am today. Um, finally, before the last one, I actually was put in contact with a group that helps to, uh, move people's manufacturing over to China specifically. Um, they help people get, uh, get their designs optimized, I guess, for China production. And I got a lot of good insights talking to them. I ended up not working with them, uh, just because we had some issues with the Trump's tariffs and things like that going on that complicated stuff and they they didn't see they didn't see it working out for them so I went off rogue on my own and uh, kind of had to create a hybrid supply chain that's not your question but anyway it, it was it was a long process and uh, it was fun getting there but um, it took a while yeah, Honestly, definitely. Joy, though I, I really enjoy building things I enjoy getting out and working with my hands and and making stuff so it was a fun process is that's so interesting so let's talk about the the final supply chain process do you do it in-house or do you have some kind of combination of um, it's a combo so so you have like partially built somewhere and then you finish it off or how does that how did you what did you end up with the design has about a dozen different components to it um main ones are there's an extruded aluminum frame and a a laminated um panel that's kind of the, the facade. It's just imagine like your faux hardwood flooring kind of a thing. It's similar to that material. Um, so I have that source from a company in Oregon that does those panels. And then I have my extruded aluminum frames that come from China, which I was trying to do it all domestically. But at this point, I'm pretty small and I can't, I can't always have my pick of the litter when it comes to manufacturers. So I worked with who would work with me. Um, so that's coming in from China. Uh, the rest of the hardware is done in various places. but um, those are the two main components. I have all of the components shipped into a, a warehouse that I'm, I'm currently renting some space up in Salt Lake. Um, it's also a, a fulfillment center there and I just have a little portion there that I do and then they take care of the fulfillment for me. Um, so we do all of the assembly up there in Salt Lake. Well, that sounds like a fun process to figure out. <laughs> it's half a nightmare, and uh, yeah, as it always is. <laughs> uh, obviously, like this is something I was I was just doing on the side while I was in school, and the the system is not optimized. I'm looking forward to the next iteration of of the design. I've I've been up there honestly uh, assembling uh, these things 
um, mostly, I mean, I've, I've been doing a lot of it myself. I've had a couple of guys that I've, I've hired out to, to help me do it, but, um, it's mostly just been me and that's given me incredible insights into some of the, the pains that I have designed into the assembly process, that <laughs> but, uh, uh, didn't exactly turn out that way. So I'm looking forward to the next, the ne- next design round where I can simplify this, this thing and, and make it a lot easier to do. Definitely. Okay. So you launched the Kickstarter in, I think it's September of 2018, correct? Uh, I think it was, I think I launched it in February. Oh, February. Um, and you raised a little over $11,000. What, let's talk about the steps after that. How, how have you really gotten the word out there and, um, built buzz and obviously then turning that into selling units? Sure. Um, so I'm still working on that process. Most of my time has been spent in the supply chain. Um, up to this point, I haven't really wanted to, to go hard on marketing until I, I'm sure that I can deliver on the product. So the last year has really been focused on, uh, just getting these parts in specifically those, those frames have been kind of a nightmare, uh, getting them in from China. The company that I decided to work with wasn't, they're not the most responsive in the world. And so that's been, that's been a pain. So I haven't been able to put all the time and effort into marketing that I've, I would have liked. Um, but what I have done, what has worked well is, um, as part of the Kickstarter process and, and moving after that was I, I reached out with a, I guess a press release package to a few different online journals, um, like, um, Epic TV and just a couple other ones that, that picked me up and just wrote a, a short little, short little blurb on what I'm doing. And that generated a, a lot of, a lot of buzz that was super useful. Um, besides that, I've just been doing word of mouth, um, talking with friends and family, um, and then Facebook ads, just, uh, building a, an online presence, which really isn't my strong suit. And <laughs> it's, it's been kind of a pathetic attempt, but it's, it's worked so far. Um, we've sold, um, probably about 30% of my initial order so far. Um, the initial order was for roughly three times what I sold on Kickstarter. And then they're selling right now pretty well. Um, so I do need to work on that. I'm looking forward to expanding my marketing uh, vision here soon. That's kind of what I'm starting to focus on right now. Right. It's hard being a one-man show. I've got, Definitely. I've got a lot. Of, but uh, uh, I want to expand the product line and expand marketing. But um, marketing's a big one right now. That's what I'm focusing on. Yeah, it's definitely a tricky piece, but you have a pretty unique product where if you're a climber, you're going to see you're going to scroll past that whether it's on Facebook or anywhere and do a double take and be like, "Wait, what's that?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Which I think is a it's a great sort of uh value that you have, right? Because it is so unique. It pops. It's nice. It does. And like if you see people like there's all those forums and fa- and Facebook groups of people like building out their own like uh, climbing gyms, whether it's in their attics or their g- garages. Right. Yeah. And it's like, OK, well, if you don't want to go that <laughs> all out, you know what yeah. I mean? Which is that's quite an undertaking to do that. It is. It yeah. A lot of a lot of know how and a lot of space and a lot of dedication to be able to put one of those up. So. Exactly. Yeah, just fitting in the niche where you're you're not that serious, you know, you're looking for something cool for your kids or just a simple little something to warm up on. But yeah, so hopefully it's hopefully there's decent niche there that that I'm that I'm touching on. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing with climbing. It's like you can have all of the skill in the world when it comes to climbing. But if you're not in shape for it, it uh-huh. doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, like you'll, you'll climb for 20 minutes and then just be like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> yep. Your forearms go pretty quick. Exactly. I want to ask you a couple questions. How many pairs of pants do you own that you truly love? How long does the average pair of pants that you own last? Lives in Designs was founded on the idea of creating the perfect pair of pants for any adventure. I've personally been wearing their canvas pants for the last five months and I love them. I've used them climbing, hiking, camping around New York City and Livzin's mission is to really help people do more with less. They do this by creating pants and other products that are multi-use and Designs offers a lifetime at cost repair program to keep your gear lasting long and our clothing out of the landfill. In addition to a lifetime manufacturer's warranty against defects. To learn more, head to livesin.com. That's L-I-V-S-N.com. Tribe Alpha is great e-commerce for the great outdoors and can help you improve the performance of your e-commerce site. With over 25 years of experience navigating the ever-changing online marketplace, Tribe Alpha has the tools to improve your site. Whether your focus is B2B, B2C, wholesale, or dealers, Tribe Alpha can help. And Ready Eddie podcast listeners get a special discount. Just visit tribealpha.com slash deal to receive a 10% discount off their standard pricing. Their web development experience coupled with their passion for outdoor adventure make Tribe Alpha the perfect partner for your outdoor e-commerce site. Visit tribealpha.com slash deal. That's tribealpha.com slash deal. So how do you keep, um, like, obviously you, you have this somewhat complicated supply chain. You make a physical product. How do you keep sustainability sort of front and center, um, you know, running an outdoor company where most of your consumers really have that front and center in their minds? Yeah, it is. It is definitely something that's important to me and is, is front and center in my mind. Um, supply chain is a complicated beast. It really is. Um, I've, like I said, I, my previous career was mechanical engineer and I worked for a few years, you know, helping bring new products to to the world um and we did all our manufacturing in china um i've had the opportunity to go over and, and tour our factories and help them you know bring new products online um in doing so I, I learned quite a bit about um i guess the real effect of manufacturing uh in different locales overseas or domestically or, or wherever it may be um, one thing specifically with china that i realized was um how much of a benefit it can be for those companies to work with a company that is, um, you talk about sustainability. Uh, I think there's, there's so many different dimensions to that question, to that problem. There's the environmental factor, but then there's also the human factor. And a lot of these overseas facilities, um, the human factor I think is most pressing, just the conditions that the workers are in. Um, when I got there, um, our company had, had already done a lot of progress in helping to bring these factories up to speed and to, um, in the creating conditions that are, that are healthy for their employees. Um, but I, my, my boss, my, the people who had worked, you know, that I was working with over there who had worked there for a while, just told me these horror stories of, of the conditions that people were, were working in that, uh, that our company helped them kind of rise above. They, they pointed them out and said, you know, that's just not acceptable. We can't work with you guys. If you guys are, if you guys are working like this. Um, so there's, there's a huge benefit to, um, I guess just being the voice of reason uh, in, in all the people you're working with. But for me personally, as in my position right now, I haven't been able to to do a whole lot as far as 
you know, having control over where I, where I source my materials from, where I, who I choose to work with and, and how they do what they do just because I'm so darn small. Like literally I've put in, you know, one order with these, with these companies so far and your ability to, to have any kind of leverage into how they do what they do is pretty minimal at this point. So as far as sustainable sourcing and sustainable, um, sustainable supply chain, Right now, I'm just I'm focusing on the on the sourcing and supply chain. Um, I'm hoping to grow to a point where I I can actually do some good. I can I can I can be able to buy in volumes to where people will actually listen to to what I have to say, and they will. Um, not only that, but I'll be able to afford to work with more than just the the base level people. Um, it's definitely something I want to work for. It's something I, I see as a big part of our future. But right now, to be perfectly honest, it's uh, it's not something I, I can afford. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard when you're small. That's why like companies like when Patagonia or others of their size do make it a priority. It's it's a big deal. Yeah. Um. What, what Actually, just yeah. Go on. on that topic. I just it was like a, I don't know about a year ago. I read "Let My People Go Surfing." Uh, Yvonne Chouinard's. Yeah, great book story on that and yeah no absolutely it was, it was definitely inspiring but it was uh some of the takeaways there there's just that yeah it it takes time to build that like it's a serious endeavor and it's a it's a big can of worms so once you open it like you know it's it's not a simple problem it's not like oh i'm just gonna stamp you know like ethically sourced product on my on my products it's not that simple like there the supply chain is a complicated thing like where you get your stuff from where they get their stuff from where they get their stuff from like it's it's a very deep hole to start digging down. And uh, I'm looking forward to being able to have an impact there at some point, but not just, just not quite there yet. Yeah, I totally understand that. I, I've always thought that the supply chain and just manufacturing a physical product is the hardest part about building any business. And we have it easy at Ready Eddie where everything we do is digital. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot less risk. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty easy, easy to sustainably source. Uh, a programmer. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. No way I'm going to screw up the batch or uh, have f- 5,000 units of something show up and have like the color be somewhat wrong or the sizing be off or whatever. Uh, yeah. Which I've heard horror stories from brands on the podcast and I'm just like, woo, that stress is, is real. <laughs> yeah, yep. Speaking of that, what would you say has been the hardest part about starting and, and building the business? It's it's usually whatever I'm working on at the time. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, so I think the biggest the biggest frustration that I've had so far, uh, I think I, I mentioned briefly just some some difficulties I've had with sourcing those that that specifically that aluminum frame component. Um, just the company I was working with uh, was very, very slow in communication. I'm, like I said, I'm used to I'm used to working as part of a larger organization. Um, I, I went into this pretty cocky, thinking, "Oh, I know, like I I know how to design and source a product. That's what I did. That was my job." Um, but going into it and working with these companies as just a, a small timer, putting in a you know a ten thousand dollar order here, a twenty thousand dollar order there. Um, you just don't have the clout that you did. And specifically with these guys, it was a communication issue. I was, I was used to being able to work directly with their engineers, but here I was working through their sales team. And for some reason they, they wouldn't, they would not put me into contact with their engineers. I think mainly probably because their engineers didn't speak English, but they just would avoid the question anytime it came up. 
Um, and so when it came to uh, working through the little kinks that are always inevitable in any kind of new design that you're putting into production, um, it was just so slow. Like I got the designs to them probably in, I think it was in August or so of last year uh, that we started talking. They, they gave me a quote and we started working from there. But every iteration that we go through, every time something needed to be changed, it would be three months before I could get like, yikes. I would send them, I would send them a slight little revision just saying like, Hey, this needs to be like, you didn't see this here. Like, honestly, there were no tweaks to the design. The design stayed the design. It was just things that they didn't quite get right. Um, and like I said, I'm, I'm an engineer. Like I sent them a full spec'd out package, drawing package, along with CAD models, everything they could possibly need. But just a few little things were overlooked, specifically some angles on some cuts that they made. And it took, yeah, it took like eight months for, to, for us to get through to get that, that angle correct. And it was just maddening because they wouldn't talk. They wouldn't communicate. They'd say, okay, we're working on it. It's in quality control right now. The prototype is it's ready. We're just working on getting it out. And they would just stall and stall and stall. Like I, they just wouldn't, they wouldn't be upfront with any of the problems they were having. It didn't allow me to actually help them work through them. Um, so that was, that was a little infuriating. It put my production way behind. I was uh, scheduled to deliver. <laughs> I had very optimistically hoped to deliver the product last November, but uh, that got pushed all the way back out until July of this year or late June. I can't remember exactly when it was, but pretty recently, just because of this one component, everything else was sitting in a, in a warehouse in Salt Lake ready to go. But this one component just took forever. That's so through. frustrating. <laughs> it was, and it's just, it's just sitting, there's, there's nothing I could do. I tried calling them. They would go to a voicemail. Like they just, that's the worst part. It's just, I'm just, my hands are tied. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, and I'd already done a ton of work sourcing these guys, like trying to find someone to make this part. These were, literally the the only people within like you know the the next the bid the next bid after these guys was about twice the price so like i i couldn't right go anywhere else without completely changing the design and at this point i had already ordered all the other components and so like i was i was invested you know like i couldn't pull out at that point <laughs> yeah you were stuck kind of just waiting for them and they kind of knew it that's the worst yeah. part about being an entrepreneur because like i feel like part of the mindset is like you get things done and you're constantly like like sort of moving through checklists and like working towards goals. And when something is completely out of your hands, it's just sort of like utterly frustrating. Cause you're like, I, yeah. I can't do anything, but I want to do something, but I can't. It's just frustrating. I know how you feel. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was rough. Um, what, what advice would you give to someone that wanted to start a business, whether it was in the outdoor industry climbing industry or just really a business in general i'd say know your sport know your customers really really well um coming into this like i, I was totally a novice at climbing like i really love the sport i i've always been very climbing inclined and i'm the kind of guy who just like walks through a walmart and looks at the poles and wants to try to climb up and stuff but rock climbing itself as a sport was relatively unfamiliar with me like i said like i i had climbed with friends growing up here and there and like me and my buddy had actually built a climbing wall when I was like 18 or something in his backyard on a tree in Washington. We have enormous trees. We built a 65 foot climbing wall on his tree, which was really what? cool. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty sick. But I mean, as far as like the the lingo, the jargon, the understanding, like the mindset of of the climbing world, what people think, how they think, um, what's important to them, what drives them, what motivates them, um, 
what they think is cool, what they think is not cool, what they aspire to, who they aspire to. You know, that just that whole world was pretty new to me. It's pretty, pretty unknown. Um, and so as I as I started to really dive into the world of climbing, just more and more of these windows would open my mind that would make so much more sense and like where my product would be, be positioned, where it fits, where it absolutely does not fit. Like who would love this? Who would hate it? Um, that stuff, honestly, when I started was a black box. I didn't like, I made some assumptions and those assumptions were pretty wrong. Um, so just being absolutely immersed in your sport and, uh, really being passionate about it and learning to love it the way that your customers love it, uh, is invaluable. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, where do you see Megalith in the next year, five years, 10 years down the road? Next five, 10 years down the road, I'd like to start expanding the product line. I think one of the, the main things I'm working on right now is expanding a line of climbing holds, uh, shaping climbing holds uh, myself. Uh, that's something that I've been pretty excited about recently. I'm a very uh, kind of hands-on sort of person. I'm, I'm really passionate about uh, creating. I like artistic stuff. I like making things with my hands. I like tactile sensory experiences. Um, and climbing holds is something that I've really taken to. I I developed a friendship with a, a buddy here in Provo who uh, who created a, a small company around making climbing holds uh, himself, uh, on, on-site climbing holds. Uh, the guy's name is Jordan Hughes, super nice guy, and he's uh, kind of taken me under his wing and showing me the art of, of creating climbing holds, um, of shaping, shaping foam. So that's something I'm working on right now. Um, so in the next year or so, I'd like to have a nice offering of a beautiful megalith, uh, you know, megalith brand climbing holds. Um, after that, uh, I'd like to continue to expand into other rock climbing products, um, spill the brand around specifically in-home training. I have my, my mind has been going over the last couple of years of, uh, ways I could create a better training product. Um, like in my mind, when I, when I built the original, the bowl ball panels, um, my thought was it'd be something you could easily train on at home, but really quickly I figured out it's, it's not, it's not really a training product. It's not optimal for that. It's not, it's not, it doesn't meet those needs very well. Um, it's like, it works as a warm up thing or something you can do a few different, a few different movements on. But as far as like a, a serious training product, it really doesn't fit the bill. So I've got some ideas for a much more fun, <laughs> much more intense, uh, training apparatus that I'm, I've been playing around with. I've got, I've gone through dozens of iterations, uh, in CAD models and in my mind, but, um, that's that's where I like to go. Is continue to expand the product line. Honestly, that's what excites me. That's what gets me going. Is is thinking about new products, new new things I can make, new things I can build. That's just that's what I'm all about. Yeah, definitely. So, where does the name come from? The name Megalith. I I get that a lot. I, when I picked the name, I I didn't realize it was so uh, esoteric. Not very many people know the name Megalith. So Megalith is a Greek word. Uh, it means literally large stone. Megalith or megas and lithos are the Greek roots. Um, but specifically, it's oftentimes used when referring to large stone structures that were put up um, by prehistoric civilizations, mankind, like think Stonehenge. Stonehenge is a megalithic structure. Oh, okay, okay. Um, Karnak, you know, uh, the Easter Island heads, those are all megalithic structures. They're just oh, large stone. Um, so that's the name. Um, honestly, I picked it just because uh, I, I kind of felt like where we were going was a blending of uh, the domestic life with stone and with that kind of uh, rugged, um, 
when I think about it, it's the, the sense of awe. I think that's the biggest thing that I associate with rock climbing. Like when you're getting out there on the big, you know, on these, these massive stone faces, you're out there in the outdoors, just exposed to, you know, huge, huge, vast sights and scenes. And, um, you're climbing it, you're kind of terrified, but at the same time, you're pushing forward. You're, uh, you're, you're playing with risk. You're walking on that line. You're, you're moving forward. Um, I associate that a lot with um, kind of that, that the lifestyle of these people that lived, you know, thousands of years ago. They, I don't know, they were they were taking risks. They were doing big things, and they, uh, they were putting up these enormous giant rock structures that were kind of kind of pointless, um, which kind of has a lot of a uh, uh, correlation with rock climbing. Rock climbing itself is pointless. You talk to, you know, let's listen to Yvonne Chouinard of these these early people who were about rock climbing at the when it became at its at its genesis and that's one of the things that they loved about it was that it was it was pointless it wasn't something that was necessarily for anything other than than the the act itself um there's something beautiful in that i don't know so it seemed to me that there's there's a connection there and i wanted to kind of accentuate that just this sense of awe that, that accompanies both of those things as well as the obvious like big rock and the, the domestic and rock and unifying those two for sure. Now, what's the best part about running uh, Megalith? The best part about running Megalith is um, that I get to justify to myself how much I go climbing and how much I get <laughs> into the sport. Um, I'm the kind of person that's uh, like, I, I feel like I need to be doing, I need to have a purpose, you know, like in what I'm doing. And that's, again, like what I was saying about the name Megalith. It's, uh, it's something that is you're able to to stop, you know, you're able to turn off your, your brain and your, your mm, certain parts of your brain, the, the parts of your brain that are, that are thinking about like, how am I progressing? How am I moving forward? How am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? How am I, you know, being productive? Uh, you're able to turn that off and just, just climb, be present. Um, and I really, I really appreciate that because it's, it's an excuse for me. I'm able to, to justify that. Like I need to go out there and really experience this and, and get immersed in the sport. So running Megalith, uh, allows me to have far more fun than I permitted myself previously. <laughs> I, uh, I can definitely agree with that. And, uh, for anyone that's listening to this episode before September 10th, they can actually enter to win, um, a uh, boulder wall panel set from Megalith. Uh, so just head over to Ready Eddie uh, for your chance to win. And uh, with that, Ben, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast and share your story, share the story of Megalith. And I'm definitely excited to see um, all the things you guys do in the future. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Josh. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Eddie Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.